This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning. It is Wednesday, August 4th. You are listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Lance Glynn, and on today's episode, you'll be listening in as Josh Pate, host of the Late Kick podcast, brings you the 24-7 Sports Conference Realignment Roundtable. He is joined by college football analysts Brandon Marcello, Bud Elliott, Blake Brockermeyer, and Chris Hummer. They run through everything there is to know about realignment and give their thoughts on what comes next. So without holding you too much longer, I'll throw it to Josh and the guys for an in-depth conversation on college football's biggest off-season story. Guys, it's time for one of those good old-fashioned 24-7 sports realignment roundtables. we got the entire crew here. Blake Brockermeyer, newest on the scene. So, of course, he gets first introduction, but we've got Brandon Marcello on board. we got Bud Elliott on board. we got Chris Hummer on board. And, guys, we have got a lot to talk about. We have fielded questions for the better part of two and a half weeks now about everything from who's going where, what does conference realignment even mean? And so let's just take a little while here. There's no beginning and end. We can go as long as we want to. But conference realignment, the first thing I want to throw out, given all that we know and all that we've seen so far, anybody can take it to start, is what has surprised you the most in this whole ordeal? I'll, t- I'll take the first one. I think I'm a little bit surprised at two things. One, how far ahead of the curve the SEC is. I think they're, they're very forward thinking. I think Texas and Oklahoma was kind of ahead of the curve. The SEC was ahead of the curve and thinking ahead of the future of college football and college athletics. And then counterpoint that, kind of maybe there's a surprise factor involved, but how much further behind and lagging that the other conferences are because you really haven't seen anyone else do anything yet. Uh, the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the ACC, and the only thing that you've really read is, you know, some of these teams want to join the SEC. So I think the SEC is is, is ahead of the curve, and I think they're uh, a little bit more forward-thinking than, than some of the other conferences are right now in the future of college athletics. Hummer and Marcelo, I know both of you guys sort of on the reporting end of this have been on the ground out there in Big 12 territory. So, Chris, I'll start with you, and then we'll go to Brandon. You know what the fallout is, at least from a public perception, we felt it. But behind the scenes out there, Aside from the obvious, which Bob Bowlesby telling us he was taken by surprise, what's been your biggest surprise in this whole thing? I mean, frankly, the fact that the Big 12 was so caught off guard by this is kind of shocking. It's not new that the grant of rights is coming up in 2025 for the Big 12. The Big 12 had approached its partners at ESPN and Fox, I think, early this spring about potentially re-upping kind of that deal in the future. And both those companies said, let's hold off, which is not a great sign for the league in the future, because if they're not willing to pay you more money now and you approach them about that, your members can get a little antsy. And that's what kind of happened with Texas, Oklahoma. And from Texas' perspective, like they were thinking about the future of college athletics way back in the fall. Jay Hartzell said as much last night at the Texas Capitol. And the fact that the league as a whole did not have any inkling this was happening is concerning for the Big 12's future. And I I do think that's a pretty significant aspect of this. I know we, we've discussed it a lot, like how crazy it is Bob Bowles we didn't know. But when that type of secret is kept for so long and it catches so many other significant members 
of not only that conference, but nationally surprised. It's a credit to what Greg Sankey is doing, as Blake said, but it's also kind of a significant move in the college football infrastructure about where we're going. Because a lot of these schools and a lot of these conferences weren't really considering conference realignment until about two weeks ago, which, as Blake said, puts the SEC way ahead of the game. Brandon, what about you? I, I'm surprised, to be quite honest, at, at like how crazy everybody has reacted to all this about, well, this just means super conferences are coming and this team's going to go to that conference. No. Big Ten is not going to expand unless teams come to them, and they're good teams, good programs that they're considering. Pac-12, maybe they'll consider things, but I think we're jumping to way too many conclusions that we're just going to see this massive realignment across the country. I'm not even so certain it's going to be anything equal to what we saw back in 2010 through 2012 and 13. I, I, I'm not. I'm not seeing that because what you're seeing with Texas and OU going to the SEC are pretty much outside of Notre Dame, the biggest blue bloods that would probably even consider moving from conference to conference. And also when you just look at all the details, especially when it comes to ACC teams, we talk about grant of rights, no one from the ACC is going to jet from that conference unless they're ready to just give up money for the next 15 years. The only way there is something massive that happens as if something incredibly massive happens. And that's like, say, the SEC just goes to, you know, 10 of the ACC schools go, hey, join us right now. And uh, that thing will dissolve. You don't have to worry about your grant of rights and have to pay a big buyout because that thing's going to go away. I just don't see us going into this new era where there's going to be 24 team conferences and all that. I, I That's not going to happen. That is not going to be the fallout from this. But that, when we talk about the gap in perception and reality, is where rubber meets the road to me. And I know you guys on Cover 3 Podcast, you've talked about this already multiple times. I've talked about it on Lake Kick multiple times. The fear, at the very least, a perception, if not an outright fear for much of college football, is that's where we're headed. It's just inevitable. You know, could be one month, could be two months, but we're headed for 30 team super conferences. I've not felt that way, but I know, you know, you've spoken to people specifically in the ACC, and I think the gap between perception perception of what's just inevitable and what can't happen versus the reality on the ground in the ACC of what is actually allowed to happen. Even those two things, there's a gulf between A and B. I pretty much agree with, with, with Marcel, and I know you've spoken about this on Lake Kick as well, Josh. The, the grant of rights in the ACC runs through 2036. There is no exit fee in the ACC. If you leave, the ACC makes all the money you could possibly make off any sort of your, your media rights. So, all right, go join the SEC give all that money back to the ACC, that's not going to happen. If there were some sort of massive merger between the Big Ten and the ACC where more than half of the ACC teams left, I think then perhaps you know you could have a dissolution of the ACC. But that's not going to happen anytime soon, given where we are within the grant of rights. I, I was somewhat surprised, kind of back to the original question, that Texas and Oklahoma went when they did, since the GOR was still in effect until, what, 2025, I believe, in, in the Big 12. So they, you know, they they kind of jumped about about four years early, which is good for them. I, I think it's a really good business move for those two schools. But you know, jumping four years early and jumping fifteen years early is, is a, a really a big difference financially for those schools. And within the ACC, I, they're not going to add somebody just to add somebody. West Virginia, from their internal calculations, would reduce the amount made per school, not increase it. They they view West Virginia as a bottom half product in the ACC in terms of viewership, and and you're not going to add somebody to the league that is going to reduce your per school payout. In addition to the fact that under the current structure, it means you've got to split the bowl pot 15 ways, not 14. 
and the playoff pot, 15 ways, not 14. For them, it's essentially Notre Dame and whoever Notre Dame wants to bring or bust. Yeah, Chris, to kind of circle all this back around to where Texas and OU were, where the, the mentality was, where their headspaces were at when they made this move. Bud just talked about it. Brand has talked about it. I mean, the whole world is talking about when it happened. And yes, it caught everyone off guard, but let's nail down the calendar here because I think a lot of people's heads start swimming. They, they work a normal nine to five job. They check their phone 505 when they get in their car and they see what all's happened that day. And they see a bunch of TV contract, grant of rights, and this goes to this year and that goes that year and really what they want is a nice succinct paragraph on here's what's going to happen and when it's going to happen but texas and OU, they chose to make the move now they chose to at least reach out the sec chose to announce that they're coming in now but that's only part a part b is when is it going to happen and you've got one popular narrative out there that oh it's going to happen immediately don't worry about that nine figure number it'll just take care of itself or the big 12 will dissolve so there are a lot of working theories in your mind what is, given that we can't see the whole picture, what is the what is the sharpest working theory out there that you buy into on when this actually goes down? I think it depends on who you ask. Um, publicly, Texas and Oklahoma are very steadfast that they're going to be there through 2025. That is their lawyers speaking through them, right? Like you cannot you cannot step in the wrong pile when this is likely going to go to court at some point. So Texas and Oklahoma are very steadfast publicly that it's going to happen in 2025, but I would be shocked. I'd be shocked if it wasn't 2022, 2023. I use this analogy a lot, but like you're not going to live with your ex for four more years just because your lease is there, right? Like that's just not going to happen. And it's not going to happen for Texas and Oklahoma most likely. These are two of the richest, most powerful programs in college athletics. And there are a lot of factors working behind the scenes with them to kind of push this forward because the rest of the Big 12 is not going to sit idle by and wait for Texas and Oklahoma just to chill for four years as it kind of just sits there and hopes something lands in their lap that's going to happen. The other Big 12 schools like Kansas, like an Iowa State, like a Baylor, like a TCU, they're going to explore their options. I'm not saying they're going to leave the Big 12 or the Big 12 is going to break up. I'm just saying individually those schools are going to explore their options as the Big 12 will as well with potential expansion and other options laid forward in front of them. So when you kind of combine all of those factors, it's very unlikely that the static product of the Big 12, as we know it today, and as is projected in 2025, at least per the grant of rights, will be there. And if that product changes, which it very likely will, it's unlikely that the league will stay together for that long. It just it doesn't make sense. And I think behind the scenes, people at Texas and Oklahoma expect that to be the case. They get out sooner rather than later. And people in the Big 12, frankly, other athletic directors and people around the league don't expect Texas and Oklahoma to stick around that long. Yeah, can I jump in real quick? I mean, I was talking to De Bowen Lofton, the Texas A&M president, when Texas A&M was going through the, the issues of the Big 12 and then jumping to the SEC. And he, he recounted to me just that one year they remained in the Big 12 and how hellacious it was just from the perspective with their their players going to these these other arenas and stadiums getting just absolutely heckled and and verbally attacked but also when it came to Big 12 meetings he said that he just didn't want to be in that room because it was like he was just like this this ghost in there. They saw through him, but they also saw him as something just completely scary, like you don't belong in here. And they had no voice in the Big 12 during that year. It was almost just a complete waste of time uh, for everybody involved. He had to remove himself from any decision-making process that was happening in any of these meetings. He said it was just, it was uncomfortable for everybody. And if, if they could go back and do it again, they would love to have been able just to, to leave the Big 12 almost immediately. So the idea that OU and Texas are going to go through this for four years 
is preposterous. I, I bet this is probably their last year, if not two years, but I think this is probably their last year in the Big 12. We saw that last night at the Texas Capitol. Like Bob Bowlesby was sitting three feet behind Jay Hartzell <laughs> the entire day. And Bob did not make eye contact with Jay, the Texas president, like the entire the entire day. It was crazy. We had Mac Rhodes, Baylor's athletic director, taking shots at Jay Hartzell in Texas from like 12 feet away in the room. Like it was just a very uncomfortable environment just there. And I can't imagine what it would be like three years from now as they go into the last leg of that kind of marital arrangement. So I agree. It's just it's just not going to happen. You, I mean, this is your wheelhouse. And so you've been involved with the game as a player, as a father, but you're also intimately aware of what the whole behind the scenes picture at Texas looks like. And I'm very curious I think what we've said here so far echoes what most of the nation thinks. On the ground in Texas, like what are people saying? I know there's a lot of high five because you're about to head to the SEC, but when it comes to this timeline, is it as widely held a perception amongst Texas fans that we're going to be out of here long before 2025 as it is nationally? Yeah, I think most most Texas fans and Oklahoma fans think this will probably be the last year in the Big 12. I mean, just w- exactly what Brandon said. It's it's a you're in a lame duck situation. It, it's an un- it's uncomfortable for everyone involved. You've got the two most powerful schools in the Big 12 that make up you know probably a minimum of 50 percent of the revenue. Uh, that's generated in the Big 12, and they're not even involved in, in the in the decisions going forward. So I think you know Texas and Oklahoma fans will will be excited to get out as soon as they can. And you know with the with the Texas governor now, the last governor was was an Aggie. So I think that that always helps if the school that's leaving has a governor that's on your side. So with politics in their favor, and you know everyone kind of ready to move on to the next chapter, I think they'll lawyer up and get out of this deal uh, and i expect this to be the last year of texas and oklahoma being the big 12 but i want to talk about greg sankey for a second because this is the widest range of public opinion right now greg sankey i mean if we're talking pro wrestling terminology was about a 95 to 5 face to heel ratio until very recently everyone loved the guy even people outside of the sec certainly aren't chanting sec but they looked at the guy as being the model for what they would love their commissioner to be very forward thinking very proactive very decisive you know exactly where the conference stands everyone's in lockstep agreement at least when it comes to front facing issues and then all this happens and all of a sudden you've got a dark cloud on the horizon and everyone starts to think oh man behind the scenes he may have been a bad guy the whole time and then there's the fear about the SEC sort of swallowing up a majority of the good parts that are left, at least from watchability standpoint of college football. And so I've had mixed feelings on this because I don't like necessarily the changes, but I also don't think it's torch and pitchfork time by any stretch with Greg Sankey, because I'm not so sure he's not doing the same thing any of us wouldn't do if we were in the position, given the facts that he has. So I'm very curious how you've observed sort of the evolution on public thinking towards Greg Sankey over the last three or four weeks. I mean, certainly, I think a lot of people now are anti-Greg Sankey. But from my perspective, conference commissioners are paid by the member schools. Greg Sankey does not owe any duty of faithfulness to any other conference or any other school out there. He is paid literally to do what his members want him to do. We saw this at the exact same time basically last year with Kevin Warren in the Big Ten. Was Ohio State mad as hell they were going to cancel the season? Yes. Did most of sort of the high and mighty school presidents that are thinking academics and COVID concerns want the season canceled? Also, yes, right? He was acting what the majority of the Big Ten schools wanted to do, absent Ohio State and maybe, what, Nebraska, I think, if I recall. Nebraska. Yeah. You know, Greg Sankey is acting like that. this is what the members want him to do. 
I think he's done a tremendous job of the SEC. I, honestly, long term, you know, like he he could be the commissioner of college football if, if we end up with just two or three leagues here. Like it's not likely, but it's certainly possible a long time down the line. It, he's really good at what he does, and most of the member schools seem to either want this or they don't have enough pull. Maybe like a South Carolina or a Vandy to say, eh, I don't know if we actually want this or not. Brandon, you've talked to Sankey very recently. I mean, what's been your perception? Because you've been face to face with him, but also just interested to get your general thoughts on this. He's got an incredible poker face, and it makes me wonder, like, how, what other things he's always working on—not necessarily with realignment, but just what what his ideas are truly. Because uh, it seems like he's got all kinds of things in the background that he's always working on that he's not ready to to discuss publicly or even finds a way to to gloss over. I, I think he's just done an incredible job as the SEC commissioner. I, I have I echo everything that Bud is saying about Greg Sankey. I am interested in seeing how he handles all this going forward because as you said, uh, Josh, he's he's kind of turned into this heel in, in college sports and man, I would love to see a cage match between Bob Bowlesby and Greg Sankey because, you know, those two have worked together in secret, by the way, for two years working on this college football expand playoff expansion proposal. They're in the same room, same Zoom meetings for hours and hours discussing this, having nice laughs and everything. And uh, meanwhile, behind the scenes, Greg Sankey is, is plotting to take away his top two schools and potentially put Bob Bowlesby out of a job. That is about as devious as it gets in college athletics, especially at that level as a commissioner. And they've still got to work together, by the way, when we're talking about this college football playoff expansion, because that's the next big thing we're going to be discussing these next couple months is do we actually move forward with this 12-team playoff expansion or do we hit the pause button and look at, reevaluate all this? Because one of the top voices that helped develop this plan for two years, part of that CFP working group, was Greg Sankey, who is completely changing the game right now. But I love the way Sankey has approached it publicly. He's going, cool, you guys want to reevaluate it? Then we'll just just stick with four then. I guess everybody's kind of just, everybody's reacting on emotion right now instead of actually long-term business sense and strategy because stick with four, go ahead. There's going to be a year, if you do so, that the SEC has the three of the top four teams in the playoff. Then everybody's going to freak out and go, how did this happen? Well, you didn't go to 12. Yeah, there's there might be one extra SEC team in there when you go to 12, but at least your conference is guaranteed to get someone in there with four and the SEC expands, you got less of a chance to get in that playoff. So Greg Sankey is uh, like 10 steps ahead of everybody else. And and the thing is, is I don't see anybody trying to even catch up with them. They're just kind of just doing their own thing, which is kind of crazy to me. I don't know that I totally agree with, with, with Brandon on that. Um, I, I want to push back a little bit. I, I think Greg Sankey almost pulled off absolutely perfectly. The timing of, of the leak to Texas A&M, and Texas A&M obviously leaking into the Chronicle, which is what I think we're all assuming happened there, reporting process was, if they had waited another couple months on this, right, Texas and Oklahoma could have served the Big 12 with, with their notice to leave after this season, after we had already had a finalizing vote on going to the 12-team playoff, after ESPN had already had exclusive ability to bid and renegotiate that deal on the 12-team thing. Now you have a lot of people in that room, I think other conference commissioners, who somewhat distrust Greg Sink because he was working for a 12-team model that really benefits a super SEC that none of the other conference commissioners in that room knew, knew he was benefiting. And ESPN is now going to be so in bed with the SEC, obviously, because they already own the SEC network. They're not going to have as much money to bid 
on Big Ten rights. Like we assume Fox is going to coming up, right? We don't know what's going to happen with the Pac-12 or the remaining Big 12 schools. But George Kriakoff of the uh, of the Pac-12 just said, I don't get why we're just giving ESPN the, the opportunity to be the sole bidder on the Pac-12 playoff, or excuse me, on, on the college football playoff. Why don't we open this up and have multiple people bidding on it like the NFL does? If they had waited just a little bit, like if can you imagine if Greg Sankey pulled off the expansion announcement for, of the SEC until after they had put pen to paper on going to 12? That would have been just absolute gangster move. This is pretty gangster, but like that would have been incredible. I think he's going to get some pushback, though. I think Sankey did, didn't care. I, I think he's he's fine with four and he's fine with twelve. I think he he sees things how they're going to be in four to five. You really years think they anyway. would get three, Brandon? Because I I don't see a situation. Yeah. Where at they some get point, three. at some There's point, no it way. happened. It happened at some point. Guarantee it. It happened. Three out of four. How would the like, I, no? I would, no how would that work? No way. It would happen. That, that you have one loss. You have a, you have a one loss team in the SEC West, and then you have two teams that are undefeated meet in the SEC championship game, and it's a close game. I could see it. Three of the top four teams. When we look at the we're we're looking at the landscape now. Why wouldn't you take the three of the top four SEC teams? Well, even if, even if you're assuming unbiased, so we just let some we just let some we just let someone in because they're not from the SEC. Absolutely, they would. If you don't think geographic no. diversity matters for ratings, no. you're nuts, no. dude. If you have all the teams come from the southeast in the playoff, all right, the listen, ratings. Going I know, to I know, I know. We like to get in this whole thing about TV ratings matter and all that, but the committee is not going to sit there and go geography matters, TV ratings matter. Let's just completely go against common sense. Brandon, Brandon, have we had Brandon, a year Brandon. where three of the four top teams in any final ranking were from the SEC? It's going to happen. When you expand to 16, you've got Texas and OU in there. Yeah, they're going to have three of the top four teams at some point. Brandon, so you're saying, so you're saying like, watch uh, one loss Ohio State or a one loss Clemson is getting left out of the playoff just because three SEC teams deserve to make it that year. Yeah, maybe. Clemson lost to Boston. Clemson lost to Boston College and Georgia lost to Alabama. Yeah. Well, this is a good point, though, Brandon, because if the SEC or if the playoff had stuck solely with ESPN and you didn't have other people have an opportunity to bid on it, then ESPN would control the message entirely, right, which they do sort of now. I still don't think it would happen, but like you wouldn't have anybody else pushing back against SEC, SEC, SEC. This idea that that people are just going to go, we have too much SEC in our life. We're going to pull it. We're not going to put three in there. That's that's not how this committee works. I know we all have our own little our, our little angels and devils on our shoulders whispering things that may or may not be true, but that's not going to happen with the, com- the committee. I don't care who's on it. Well, conference so championships is also still a consideration with the committee. Like we can't we can't forget that as a determining factor when teams are considered even. Chris, this whole TV network money thing again. This is one of those very popular points that we see covered by media a lot. And Blake, I'm going to bring you in on this too. This is something that's talked a whole lot about in our circles. But again, I think it makes average fans head swim when you're talking about whose contract runs through here and and which players are at the table. So right now, if I'm an average fan, if I'm just hanging out in Topeka, Kansas, and I'm, I'm checking checking the internet a couple of times a day. I look at ESPN and I hear what Bud just said. And there's a possibility that, man, they just they just take over the world. They own all of the major contracts down the road. They got the SEC. They may have playoff. And then you hear Fox sort of echoed from another corner of the room. Let me ask you this. Are those, when we look five years down the road and everyone either has or is in the process of reworking their deal, are those still the only two name brand players at the table? Or do we have players come to the table by that point that we don't even speak about right now? I'm probably speaking more along the lines of a streaming giant at that point. And how does the Pac-12, if they're still around in this form, Big 12, and or the ACC work into that? Because then that completes the picture of college football. Like how does, in other words, how do all these puzzle pieces fit 
over the next five to ten years? Well, I mean, you simply have to be one of the best teams in college football. I mean, I mean, right now there's probably maybe ten teams that can win a national championship, and so the vast majority of those teams are in, are in the South. I mean, there's, I mean, if you look at the preseason top twenty-five right now, arguably three of the top five teams, you know, in the the new SEC. I mean, Oklahoma, Alabama, Georgia are three of the top teams in the country right now, and you've got Ohio State, Clemson, and you know, I mean, they're always going to be in it as well. So I think you've got to be a great team. The Pac-12 has got to got to put a better product out there. Ohio State obviously uh, owns the Big Ten, and Clemson owns the ACC right now. So uh, until someone can knock off those teams, you're going to be talking about the same teams for the next five or six years minimum just with the way that the recruiting is going. I mean, the way college football is going is the rich are getting richer. I mean, the, the best players are going to the best teams because they have a chance to win a national championship and be on the biggest stage. And so until someone can 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 knock them off and prove that they can do that, then then I think that's the future of college football. From a, from a streaming perspective, kind of jumping off what you said earlier, I think that's that's a little bit of hope right now from a college football perspective. Like the idea, Fox and ESPN are going to be in the negotiations, but I think they're hoping, they're hoping Amazon comes in. They're hoping Facebook comes in. They're hoping Netflix comes in and wants to have live sports rights. I find it very likely we're seeing Amazon make a play for NFL rights already. And live sports rights are still one of the most valuable things you can have because one, it's one of the few things people will sit through the commercials for. And two, it drives cable kind of tiers and packages. But there is there is a slight problem with streaming that's a little different than cable. And cable, when you are a network, you are getting money based on everybody in the area subscribing to that and the whole tier rights of the package. A person buys into an entire cable tier and they get all of the ESPN channels, even if they don't watch them. And streaming, you're dependent on individuals purchasing that particular streaming network, say Amazon, because of largely their interest in whatever you're offering. So I don't know at this point, I don't think commissioners know if the money from a streaming perspective is going to be there in terms of like what they get from cable. So that is an uncertain future with college football. And it's an uncertain future as to whether those kind of large companies step into that space. But I, yeah. I do think the anticipation is that, and the hope is that Amazon and those companies swoop in and allow kind of the growth of college football to continue monetarily. Yeah, just real quick, you know, you talk about the uh, the tiers and how cable, you know, works, you know, people buy into something that they don't even know they're getting. And that's kind of how these ESPN, Fox Sports, they make their money. You know, it's interesting, you're starting to see that a little bit with the streaming services, particularly ESPN, as they get, they're trying to push their ESPN Plus format, which, by the way, this new SEC is going to be one of the big things they push on ESPN Plus, not only as something you see on there if you subscribe to it, but it's going to, you're going to have to pay an additional fee for some games, like you see with UFC pay per views. They're going to have some type of pay per view events on there from the SEC, from what I'm told. So, anyway, going back to that, you're seeing ESPN package ESPN Plus with their other streaming services, Hulu, Disney Plus, of course, and they're trying to sell that at a cheaper rate altogether. So when they start doing all these negotiations there, then they go, well, we have this many million people subscribe to ESPN Plus. The issue is 
those people probably don't know it just because they have it part of this bundle. So we're seeing that kind of cable tier thing filter down to these streaming services now. It'd be fascinating world if in the future your, um, I don't know, Amazon Prime membership was tied to also your Amazon streaming membership. Just a little fascinating concept there that's probably, I don't know, two weeks down the road now that I mentioned it. But well, Twitch me, is like that. Twitch is like that. Yeah. And you know how expert I am at Twitch, Brandon. So absolutely. <laughs> I, I eat, sleep and breathe Twitch. But let me ask this. I want to talk about fears for a second because a lot of fan bases out there have a lot of concern. A, a lot up and down the Big 12 that aren't named OU in Texas have concerns right now. Your Iowa State, for example, has been in a lot of headlines because it is, will we or won't we be attractive enough for the Big Ten to swallow us up or any other suitor that comes to the forefront? I want to ask about that. Go anywhere you want to. But then also, where does the American Athletic Conference and other individual high-profile G5 programs, where do they stand right now? Is it a net gain or a net loss over the next five years? Are the fears validated, in other words? I, I think if you look at some of the models for what the, the Big 12's remaining teams would make, when Texas and Oklahoma left, I've seen nine million a year down from what thirty-seven, and I've seen twelve million a year. So you, that, that's that's not a haircut, right? That that's a decapitation. So I, I don't know that staying, you know, just as a group of eight or adding a couple makes a lot of sense. If if the Big Twelve and the AAC were to somehow merge and form maybe a super conference that we're not all thinking of, if you wanted to win that league in a given year, you'd have to be pretty good. Maybe that could be a viable product. But I that's a really tough question, Josh, because I think the those those models that, that show how much those schools are actually worth, you know, show how much Texas and Oklahoma really were carrying that league, not from a win perspective necessarily, although Oklahoma you know, did text not so much recently, uh, but from a brand and, and viewership standpoint, I, I don't think staying together there is very viable. I think the AAC is, is a lot better conference than people give it credit for. I coached in it for two years and there are some quality teams in that uh, conference and quality coaches. But, you know, the, if they added the Texas schools and some of the some of the schools in the in the in the Big 12, I mean, that, that would give them a nice viewership in Texas. It would give them a different some different time zones to work out of. And I think also the Pac-12, I mean, if they wanted to look into the schools in the Big 12, you know, they could get a nice, you know, Texas base with, with the schools in Texas and, and get a d different time zone as well for the Pac-12. I mean, the East Coast is asleep by the time a lot of these Pac-12 games start. So give them, uh, be able to tier some games and give 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 the fans different time zones to, to watch the, the teams in, in the Big 12 or the current Big 12 play in. So, let me start to wrap it up, and I'm going to throw this out there. This is the most broad question I'll ever give you. When people talk about this, they always end the sentence with, okay, but what's next? And then every day you you check Twitter, you look online, and you get, a, well, this conference is whispering with that program. Well, this commissioner reached out to that commissioner, and ADs are whispering, and, and there's a lot of whispering going on behind the scenes right now, man. I mean, if I heard that, if I heard 24-7 sports was potentially closing shop next week, I'd whisper to a lot of people too. That doesn't mean I'm going anywhere. It's only natural to look out for your own self-interest. So with that as the backdrop, knowing what is publicly being said already, what can we add on to this and what should people be looking for? What's next? Brandon, I'll start with you. Here's the thing. From talking to administrators in the Big 12, one of the constant themes I'm hearing from them is we need help. They don't know what their future holds. And this is, could be absolutely devastating to some of those schools. And, you know, the idea that, you know, a Kansas could just reach out to a Big Ten or a West Virginia could reach out to the ACC. It's not as simple as that. And in fact, as Bud mentioned earlier, those conferences really have no reason to really seriously consider them. So I think a lot of these administrators, they're not just concerned, they're very concerned. And they're not sharing that publicly, but behind the scenes, I think they're panicking a little bit and they don't feel like they have to 
you know, figure this all out in the next couple of months. But this is this next year could forever change these schools and not for the better. They're just trying to kind of stay on track of where they are for most of these programs. But a lot of these programs are going to get left behind. And so for an example, like, you know, I, I know TCU's president athletics director, when they were speaking at the Texas Senate hearing, they were talking about how much money difference they were making from the Mountain West to when they got to the Big 12 and how much of a difference that's made. And, you know, a school like that, if this doesn't work out and the Big 12 completely folds or stays the way it is, that could revert back to where they were at. And no one wants to go back there. And uh, that's what the, the greatest fear is right now. And that's something that um, might get overlooked until it just it's facing us right there. And it's reality that this is whole thing's dissolving. These these teams might just be floating out there. Yeah, I mean, Baylor, Baylor had been talking about a new basketball arena for two national champions in women's and men's basketball. For the last couple of years, they've been privately raising money. And Mac Rosa, their athletic director last night, was like, I don't know if we can do that anymore without the distribution from Texas and Oklahoma. And that's that's a pretty significant thing. I, I do think it's all on the Big 12. Bob Bowlesby last night, and obviously this is kind of a biased estimate from him, was saying he only expects about 50% of that television revenue to be lost from Texas and Oklahoma. So that's about $14 million per school. Cut your distribution down to about 24 million and if that's the case and that's a big if i would say the tech the big 12 and the eight remaining schools is still significantly ahead of what the american athletic conference distributes per school so that does still insulate the big 12 a little bit moving forward and i I just think we're looking at the big 12 all along like over the next year if the big 12 can maintain and stay together stay patient kind of put some pressure on oklahoma to pay those buyouts I think the Big 12 is in a slight position of strength when you talk about it, either expanding the league, yes, poaching some American athletic conference teams or making partnerships with other leagues for scheduling and kind of television deals to kind of maintain their status and to kind of keep their revenue at a reasonable level. But if some of these schools start to panic, as Brandon said, like there are people behind the scenes worried about where they're going and they turn their eyes toward another league that's willing to take them. Maybe it's the Pac-12, maybe it's the Big 10, who knows? Like you could see the league fall apart pretty quickly if even one of those members decides to bolt. So I I do think realignment, at least as we're talking about it right now, is solely focused on the Big 12, at least over the next couple of months and even in the next like year or two. I, th- I think the future, too, I think is, is, is going to you can almost look at it as having tiered championships. Like there's some schools that are not going to win a national championship in football. I mean, they simply are, are not going to do it. So I think you could, I could also see a system where you got a different tier system of teams that are playing for different national championships. You've got the tier one group that are, you know, the big schools that are competing for it now. And you've got a, a group underneath them that aren't, quite as good, but but are are good programs that can compete. And then you've got the teams that, you know, are at the bottom of the the food chain competing for their own championship. So I think it'll be interesting to see how it all kind of unfolds. I think, you know, the rich are going to continue to get richer. And I think, you know, some of these teams have no chance of winning, winning a national championship in football, but could win one at a lower level. I think down the road, I think that's something to keep an eye out on, on something that could possibly happen. I think Blake brings up a really interesting point here. And, you know, we've had a lot of these teams that have never had a chance to win a national championship in football realistically over the past you know, 30 or 40 years show no interest in dropping down a level because they want to keep taking that check because it, it allows them to fund other sports, right? Maybe they want to be really good in women's water polo or, 
you know, think about Vanderbilt, right? Vanderbilt's never going to win a national title. Their baseball facility, I've been told, is better than a lot of minor league baseball facilities. So, you know, there is some benefit that comes to these schools being in these leagues and they exist essentially for the purpose of scheduling convenience and to take losses because somebody's got to lose some ball games. And it's typically Mississippi State, Bandy, you know, South Carolina, those type of teams in the SEC. I, I'd be interested to see kind of what the impetus is to actually get them, you know, to drop down. But to a larger point, I think we're going to have a couple of things driving this. Chris's point about the Big 12, I totally agree. Ditto that. Are, are we going to see adjustments to the 12-team playoff? I, I think one obvious one is, do we need to have the same number of auto bids if we might be losing one of the Power 5 conferences? That could be sort of a minor adjustment you know, that might let us go through with the 12-teamer uh, on the existing or a similar you know, timeline for implementation. I also wonder, do we ever get to a spot where football breaks away and is, is governed by a different structure? than all the other sports are. Because if you take football off, a lot of your Title IX problems go away. If, if you could somehow you know, legislate to where they're not governed under Title IX, right? Then you have a rough number of scholarship sports between you know, men and women with all your non-revenue sports. I wonder if that's not where we're going ultimately in this sport. And then at that point, with that sort of reorg, People can kind of decide if they want to play, quote unquote, big boy football or not. And you could lie and say you want to play it if your intention is just to take the check like some of the SEC schools clearly did with, with the vote for you know Oklahoma and Texas coming in. That's fine. We need people to lose games. But I, I just the more and more we go down this road, the, the disparity between football and all the other sports revenue wise continues to increase. And I think it, it, it may suggest that we need sort of external governance for football that doesn't apply to the other sports. All right, guys, I appreciate it. That's a wrap for our realignment roundtable for Brandon, Blake, Bud, Chris. I'm Josh Pink. Keep it locked on 247sports.com for all the latest. Thanks, guys.